Welcome to the Help Club for Moms podcast. Each week we offer biblical encouragement and practical ideas to help you know the love of Jesus Christ more deeply and become the woman, wife, and mother you were created to be. We're so glad you're here. It's going to be a great day. Welcome, everybody. And uh, this is Monday, Thursday, which we're going to talk about in a little bit here. And, uh, oh, it's a big delay. Okay. Well, we'll do what we can with that. My, my Wi-Fi is good here. I should have a good signal, so we should be set. But um, let me introduce myself and we'll get started. It's so fun to be here. First, I'm just so honored to be part of this uh, this Holy Week. I love Holy Week. I have been a fan, a huge fan of the Christian calendar for a lot of years now. I didn't grow up in a in a church that really celebrated the the Christian calendar, other than kind of the big high water marks of Easter and Christmas and all of that. And about 15 years or so ago, I started to discover the Christian calendar as a uh, as a way to access the story of Jesus and to make that story in a deeper way our story. So I love this week. This is a, a week just to really hunker down and to think about who Jesus was and is for us, and especially those events that led up to Good Friday and uh, and Easter Sunday. So I'm excited to talk about Monday, Thursday. Um, this is really one of my favorite moments in the church calendar. But let me introduce myself. So my name is um, my name is Andrew Arndt, and I'm one of the pastors at New Life Church. I'm a teaching pastor there. Uh, I work mainly with our Friday night community. Um, but then I also uh, I help host our weekend services and uh, and I preach for those weekend services and across our congregations and um, I do a lot of writing I host a podcast for our church uh, so a lot of stuff kind of around resource development um, I'm born and raised central Wisconsin uh, so if we have any Wisconsinites here maybe shout at me uh, welcome Liz welcome Tanya welcome Mandy. Um, I'm a Wisconsinite, so born and raised in central Wisconsin. Marshfield is where I'm from originally. Nobody really knows where Marshfield is, but if you, you know, look at a map of Wisconsin, it's somewhere dead in the center, so it's right around there. And I uh, grew up in a really great Christian household, and uh, when I was 18, I went off to college. I'm an Oral Roberts University grad uh, back in 2003, so if I have any ORU moms here, go ahead and shout at me. Good morning, Anna. Nice to see you. Um, I went to seminary, so I, my wife and I got married uh, after my freshman year of college. So actually, uh, so I was 19 years old when we got married, and this August, my wife Mandy and I are celebrating 19 years of marriage. So uh, I will have been married uh, for as long as I was old when we got married, which I think is kind of cool. So anyway, and we've got four kids, uh, Ethan, Gabe, Bella, and Liam. Ethan and Gabe are in middle school, and Bella is going to be turning 10 in a little bit here. And our youngest son, Liam, is turning seven this summer. So that's us. We went off to, after ORU, I went off to seminary and then uh, worked back in Oklahoma for a little while as an associate pastor. And then we moved to Denver in 2009 to help our some friends of ours plant a really interesting and wonderful church, sort of a community of house churches. It was this uh, crazy, wonderful, beautiful community. And uh, we, uh, we felt the Lord calling us out of that community in 2017, and we moved down to Colorado Springs and joined the staff here. So that's a little bit about us. Um, uh, like I said earlier, just say hello. Um, so shout at me in the comments as you join. Hi, Ray Ellen. Nice to see you this morning. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Missy. Good to see you. So say hi to us as you join this morning. 
And um, one thing I just did want to say before we get started is I just wanted to speak a word of affirmation over you moms. Uh, being a mother, I, I think is I think it's one of the highest and the holiest callings that there is on planet Earth. Um, I mentioned earlier that I grew up in a really wonderful Christian home, and uh, the huge that the huge part of that is my mom. Uh, my parents came to faith when they were in their uh, early to mid twenties, I want to say, and actually helped to start the church that I grew up in. So they were founding elders at that church, and. Um, my mom, let me take take a second just to tell you about my mom. My mom is a woman of God. And for as long as I can remember, you know, she's the, uh, she's the second oldest daughter of two farmers in central Wisconsin. And she approached her spirituality like a farmer. She was up at four in the morning, 4.30 in the morning, I think most mornings. And the first thing that my mom did was she went to prayer. And, you know, we'd stumble awake a couple hours later and we'd come downstairs and my mom would be sitting there at the kitchen table with her Bible open. And at that point she had already had two or so hours before the face of God, just laying herself and her heart and her family and the concerns of her day before him. And uh, I've always said this, that as a little guy, it was so easy for me to connect the dots between my mom's, uh, my mom's way of living before the Lord and the radiant holiness of her life. She was good and kind and wise and a leader in our church. And um, I often say to people that now here I am, I'm, I'm 37, I'm gonna be 38 this summer, and I've been following Jesus all of my life. And, um, and I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that the deepest impress of my faith, in terms of the, the structure of my faith, how I live my faith, really comes from my mom. She showed me, her oldest son, how to live before the Lord. And as a pastor, the first thing I do in the morning is I'm, if the Bible is open and I'm pouring my heart out before the Lord and then trying to live in a way that's holy and set apart and sacred. And so you moms, I, I sometimes, and I know that my mom had ambitions to do lots of things out in the world and ministry and all of that. And, but you know, uh, one of the most important aspects of her ministry that she lived was to her kids, showing her kids how to walk with Jesus. So it might not seem that what you're doing is very important. I'm just telling you as a son of a really godly mom, what you do is more important than you could ever possibly fathom. And when I go through times of doubt and questioning and identity crises and all that stuff, I always fall back on, oh yeah, I am, I am Nancy's kid, you know, um, and I'm going to live like that. So just live before your kids and they'll, they'll pick up what you're laying down. Nice to see you. Deborah, nice to see you, Mary Joe, and thank you, Ray Ellen. Yes, my mom was a great example. Okay, so um, I want to ask you a question just to get us started today. What is, uh, here's my little question to kick us off. What is your favorite Easter memory that you have or a favorite Easter tradition that you have in your family? So let's see those comments come in and I'll try to read them as we go. So it's your favorite Easter memory or your favorite Easter tradition that you share with your family. Deborah, I agree with you. A mother's number one ministry is to their children. I totally agree with that. Uh, welcome, Janelle. And thank you, Tanya. Yes, a beautiful example indeed. So tell us about your family. What's a fa favorite Easter tradition that you have? What's something that you'll be doing this weekend uh, that'll be really meaningful for you? Uh, and or if you have a favorite Easter memory of yours, go ahead and share that. Hi, Brent. Hi, Brett. Wait, we've got a couple guys on here. I don't think you're supposed to be here, guys, but whatever. This is a hospitable group, I assume. 
So tell us about your family. What do you do? What traditions do you have? What memories have you made that really stand out to you? Anybody, anybody? Are we going to have a Ferris Bueller moment here? Bueller, Bueller. Allison Powell says, my mom made us matching dresses a lot when I was little. Oh, I love that. Thoughtful moms coordinating the family together. My wife does something similar. She has had a habit. I don't know if she's going to do it this year, but she's had a habit of making sure that everybody uh, is on the same, at least the same color palette when we walk into the church. Uh, egg hunts and Easter pictures with Easter outfits. Good. Anna Navarro says, my favorite is just gathering with my family. Isn't that wonderful? I love that. That's my favorite thing, too. I love just being with them. Resurrection eggs. I like that. We'll be like really specific with what these eggs are. They're resurrection eggs. New life, new birth, right? What else? Confetti eggs. I don't think I've ever heard of confetti eggs before. These are eggs that are just filled with confetti. When you pop them open, they make, uh, make a confetti mess on the carpet. Is that it? Resurrection eggs. Good. We watch Risen and the passion together. We talk about it. I love these. These are great. Um, we, uh, in my family, we've done Easter egg hunts just about every year. We're joining up with an Easter egg hunt this year, so that'll be really fun. Um, Debbie Brown says that we were Catholic, and um, she, was a, <laughs> she was a kitten, and Easter was all white, dress shoes, socks, and a Bible. Okay, great. Easter brunch. I love that. Deb Weekly says that Easter is my mom's favorite holiday. She passed when I was 20 or so, so I carry on her memory with my kids by making it a huge deal. Uh, she hides a lot of money in the eggs. I'm coming to Deb's house to do the Easter egg on. Let me tell you, she used to have $20 prize eggs in the 70s, so I spend lots of money doing it now. I'm at the Weekly's house then for the Easter egg on. This is going to be amazing. Hi, Amanda, and hi, Tanya. Okay, well, my, you know, we have lots of traditions in my family, but I'm going to share a memory with you. I think one of my favorite Easter memories that I have was from two years ago. I told you we served at a church in Denver from 2009 until 2017 when we stepped into the church. The church was about 50 or 60 people and uh, it was a really ragtag bunch. And I remember in those early days, those first couple Easter's actually that we had at that church, you know, we would have maybe a hundred people would come or 115 people would come. And I was, I would always dream of the day when our church was a little bit more grown up and it was full and that when we'd have a resurrection celebration on Easter Sunday and we'd have a packed room. And uh, the last of my the last Easter service that I preached there was my the second to the last Sunday of my pastorate there two years ago Easter Sunday 2017, and we preached to a full room, uh, two services. We baptized a whole bunch of people, and I just remember looking around, going, "Thanks be to God, this is what you do." Resurrection sometimes doesn't explode upon you. Sometimes resurrection life is like this low this slow creep that just kind of comes up on you, and all of a sudden you look around. And you realize that there's strength rising everywhere. So that's a favorite of mine. And I will, as long as I live and as long as I'm a pastor, I will carry that memory in my heart, a memory of looking around and seeing that the Lord had done something and it was marvelous in our eyes. So um, I want to get into our teaching here. I have, uh, uh, I have some ground to cover with you that I think is going to both help make today really meaningful for you. And I think it's also uh, going to really encourage you uh, specifically with regard to your role and your calling as moms. So let's take a moment here and just invite the Spirit's presence, and then I'm going to jump into the teaching. Holy Spirit, we, uh, we thank you. We thank you that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not something that we made up, but it's something that God's been telling. It's a story that he's telling. It's something that God did 
and we're living in the light of it. We're living in the wake of it. You came among us, God of very God, light of very light. You took on human flesh, Lord Jesus, and you showed us both what God is like and also what it means to be truly human. And so we are just praying this morning that as we are together, Jesus, he said that wherever two or three are gathered in your name, that you'd be there in the midst of them. And so our spirits are gathered up here in this wonderful medium of Facebook Live. And we believe that you're present with us, that you, the resurrected one, you're present with us and you're speaking to us and you're helping us. And so we pray that you would. We pray that you would uh, unmake any hardness in our hearts and we pray that you would lift us up where we're discouraged. We pray that you put courage back into us and uh, we pray that you'd help us walk worthy of the calling that we've received, as Paul says. So grant that, we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. If I was preaching, I would say, and all God's people said, but there's a time delay, so it'll be awkward. Okay, Maundy Thursday. What in the world is Maundy Thursday, and why is it spelled like that? What is M-A-U-N-D-Y, Maundy Thursday? Okay, now I'm going to give you a little... I'm going to give you a little lesson here. So uh, Maundy, that word, it's not Monday, it's Maundy, and it comes from the word uh, mandatum. So that's a Latin word, mandatum, and, uh, and then the second word for it is novum. So mandatum, novum, and what that means is new commandment. So Monday, Thursday is a celebration of that moment when Jesus, with his disciples, instituted the new commandment. And if you're familiar with the story, uh, the new commandment comes from John chapter 13. So it's where Jesus gathers up his disciples and he says, a new commandment I give you, love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So you'll remember that uh, that scene in John 13 is really, it's truly an iconic scene. Jesus, uh, and we're going to get into it in a second here, but Jesus gathers up his disciples. It's really, in some ways, it's John's version of the Last Supper. So in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we have the Last Supper and Jesus taking the bread and breaking it and the cup of wine, and he institutes that. Uh, John is giving us a different angle on something important that happened at the Last Supper and, uh, and taking us into the heart of God through it. So it comes from John 13. It's the Last Supper scene. Uh, Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. I'm going to talk about that in a second. So around the world today on Monday, Thursday, Monday, Thursday, um, lots of churches and lots of groups of Christians are going to gather and they're going to read John 13. And somebody's going to share a little word of encouragement on what it means to love one another in the way of Jesus. And then they're going to take time to wash each other's feet. And if you've ever participated in a service like that, let me tell you, it is extraordinarily awkward, and it's one of the most beautiful things that you can do at the church because it's really a modeling of the whole way of Jesus for us. And so it's a beautiful time. And then a lot of churches in their services, what they'll do is they'll have one uh, last, last supper, just like Jesus instituted the last supper here. And then they'll strip the table or they'll cover the table and they won't uncover it again until Easter Sunday as a way of saying Jesus now is descending into the darkest place. And when he comes up from the grave again, 
then we'll eat at the table one more time. So it's a really fabulous service. We used to celebrate it all the time in Denver, and I love the Monday, Thursday service. But I want you to, uh, if you have Bibles, and I think that the scriptures are going to be available to you here, so you might just be able to look on online. But I'm going to take you into John 13 here, and uh, just start in verse 1, and I'm going to make some light commentary kind of as I go along. And then I'm going to tie John 13 into a couple other pieces of scripture and then put uh, share a couple stories and have an encouragement for you. So this is John 13 and verse 1. John says that it was just before the Passover festival. So remember that Jesus' death and resurrection took place around the Passover, which was the great ce uh, celebration of Israel, of their deliverance from Egypt. And Passover really is the story of how this calamity was hanging over the head of Egypt and the head of Israel and God, that calamity was diverted onto these lambs. Remember the blood on the doorposts? And it was a picture of what was to come. And so uh, Jesus tying his actions into the Passover is really important that he's the Passover lamb. And the calamity that's hanging over the head of humanity falls on Jesus. And he's raised to new life again. And there's a fresh start for us. So it's a Passover thing. And Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them now to the end. Isn't that great? So this story is going to be a story that shows the depth of his, his love, the fullness of his love for his disciples. And the evening meal, so we know that we're at a Last Supper, the Last Supper here was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So uh, Judas is about to do the most evil thing, really, that you can do, and still Jesus welcomes him at the table. We're going to see what Jesus does in a second here. And Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So don't miss that. Jesus is so anchored in his identity as the son of the father, and he knows where he's going. He knows that his, uh, his person, his identity is eternally secure in God. He had come from God and was returning to God. So because of that, what does he do? Being this secure in God, what does he do? He gets up from the meal, and he took off his outer clothing. And it's when I read that, I always think this really is the Christ pattern, isn't it? Remember how, um, and we're going to get to this in just a few minutes here, but the scripture talks about how Jesus, he was, equal, he was equal with God, and yet he lowered himself. He, in a sense, divested himself. He emptied himself of his father's glory, and he entered into our situation. This, I think, is really a picture of that. So he got up from the meal and he took off his outer clothing like he had once laid aside the glory, his eternal glory. He takes off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand Verse eight, no, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Okay, now we need to stop there. Now, when we think about foot washing and foot washing services and all that stuff, we think, okay, well, that's like a mildly awkward thing that we don't really do in our culture anymore. But, you know, I guess if there's some, you know, if there's some religious ritual that might bring or whatever, it just doesn't strike us the way it would have struck a first century Jewish, Jewish person, really anybody in the first century. Uh, particularly in the first century Jewish world, um, Jesus is the master of this group. And masters certainly don't wash the feet of those people 
that uh, that are underneath them. So this is already an unprecedented thing. In the first century, remember, they wore sandals. So their feet are completely disgusting, covered in dirt and grime from the streets. They're smelly and nasty. So this is a very, it's just a, it's a gross thing to do. But it was such a gross thing to do. And it was such a humiliating thing to do that Jewish people of the first century actually wouldn't even have their Jewish servants do it because they felt it was too degrading. If anybody was going to do it, you were either going to do it yourself or a non-Jewish servant might do it. But there's no way that we're going to subject anybody in our community to that type of humiliation. And so here is Jesus showing his disciples how much he loves them. And he does that by doing the thing that nobody in Israel would do not even a Jewish slave. Jesus takes off his outer clothing and he wraps a towel around his waist and he gets down on his hands and knees and he starts washing the feet, even of those people that are going to sell him out to the authorities. He does that. And when he gets to Simon Peter, Simon Peter, who always is the one that goes first, he's always the guy that like says what everybody is thinking. He goes, master, you cannot do this. This is too degrading even for our Jewish servants, and you're the master. We believe, actually, that you're the Messiah who's come from, from God. We actually have some suspicion that, that you're not just the Messiah of Israel, but you might actually be God in the flesh. So you can't do this thing. And Jesus answers and says to him, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. In other words, I know that this is humiliating and embarrassing and awkward, but unless you let me do this thing to you, you have no part in this community. Now jump down to verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and it's well that you say that, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also must love, wash one another's feet. And I've set you an example that you should do just like I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. In other words, you're not greater than me. So if I'm asking you to do this and I did this, then you have to follow me in this way. He says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So Jesus is saying that what he's doing here is he's setting down a pattern for his disciples to follow. Now jump down to verse 34. Here it is, the mandatum novum, right? A new commandment I give you, love one another. And as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In other words, this is the pattern of your life together, the pattern of my life, which is a pattern of humble love, self-giving love, self-emptying love, is to be the pattern of your life as a community. And actually, if you'll stoop down, if you'll get on your hands and knees and wash the feet of one another, what will happen is it'll make manifest my love to the world. And by this, all people will know that you belong to me because you walked with me in this way. And this scene really foreshadows the cross where God both sanctifies and conquers the world's evil through the cross of Christ. He wins the world, guys, listen to me, not by bullying it into submission, but Jesus wins the world and conquers the world by loving it to the end, just like he did in verse one, just like it says he did in verse one. And this, moms, I just want to say to you this morning, this is the way of the kingdom. It's a secret way and it's a humble way. It's a paradoxical way. 
but it is the way of the kingdom. And I, as I was studying this, I'm just looking over here at the comments just to see uh, what it, what y'all are saying about this. Somebody says, beautiful, amazing example. Um, true humility. That's right. That was, yes, love one another was what he was showing no matter how their lives are. That's right. Uh, even though they were sinful, Peter's getting ready to deny Jesus three times. Judas is going to sell him out just to make up a little money for the, I mean, it, Jesus knows he knows the depth of their failure and the other 10 disciples are going to run away and hide when it comes to the hour of his crisis. And still he washes their feet anyway. So it really is an example of true humility. I, I love that. And I was thinking as I was studying this, I was thinking about how this pattern of humble love, and this is what I want you to catch, humble love that conquers the world. This pattern actually, um, uh, it's all throughout the, the scriptures, really. In the Old Testament, my mom, again, going back to my mom, uh, just about every day when I was a kid, uh, she would read the Proverbs to us, so the proverb of the day. So if it was the 11th, she would read Proverbs 11. If it was the 15th, she would read Proverbs 15. And uh, so that was like 18 years of that. And these Proverbs has, have a way of getting into you. And uh, Proverbs 16.32 says, Better a patient person than a warrior, someone with self-control, than a person who takes the city. So the writer of Proverbs is even saying there's like a way that you can behave towards evil that will actually cause the evil to collapse almost of its own. So be the patient person, not the warrior, the one who controls their temper rather than the one who takes the city. Or even this is even better, I think, Proverbs 25, 15. Check this out. The writer of Proverbs says that a gentle tongue can break a bone. That's the way of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom is not bullying people into submission or shouting people into submission or picking up the sword and trying to conquer an evil situation. But the way of the kingdom is that we enter in with the fruits of the spirit. We enter in with the life of Christ. We enter in with the identity of who God is. And somehow that causes the evil uh, and strife. It causes all of that to tremble from within and it, it ultimately collapses. Or how about this one, Zechariah 4, 6. I think we all know this. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And that really is exemplified on Monday, Thursday, that it's not by might and it's not by power, but it's when God, a very God, God in the flesh, when he takes up the towel and he washes the disciples' feet and ultimately when he climbs the hill to Golgotha and he spills his blood and from the cross says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's the stuff that conquers the world. And so what I want to say to you this morning, moms, is that there, uh, and I, sorry, I'm getting a little preachy. It's what I do. But there's a way to enter human life, especially when things are tense as they so often are in our homes, and especially when things are fraught with challenge. There's a way to enter those situations that doesn't amplify the tension and amplify how fraught it is with anxiety, but it actually sanctifies and blesses the situation. It takes the temperature down. It diffuses the evil. It conquers the evil from within. And that way is the way of humble love. It's the Christ life. It's the Christ pattern. It's washing feet. And the early church understood this. Uh, this lesson that Jesus drove home in John chapter 13, they got this. And I want you to listen to this. I think these scriptures will be up too. This is Philippians chapter two. Listen to how Paul, I want you to listen to these familiar words of Paul and listen to them in light of John 13. Listen to this. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. So if you're one with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, he's writing to a community here. If you have any common sharing in the spirit, if there's any tenderness, any compassion, 
then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In other words, don't seek yourself here, but rather in humility value other people above yourselves, looking not to your own interests, but to the interests of others in your relationships one another. Verse five, have the same, I love the old translation that says, let this mind be in you that also was in Christ Jesus. In other words, let the mind of Christ conquer you in your relationships with other people. And verse six, this is what Paul says, here is the mind of Christ, watch this. And this is what we saw in John 13, and this is what we see on Golgotha, that Jesus being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross, and therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what Paul is saying is that the humble foot washing love you until the end love of Jesus has made unity and peace on earth both, both possible and actual. And so believers are those group of that group of people who are called to walk with Jesus in modeling and extending that same love in the concrete circumstances of their actual lives. He says the whole way of Jesus is to be the pattern, the ethos of the community of faith. And so watch, this is why Paul says later in Philippians, in Philippians chapter four and verse one, he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for my joy and crowd, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. And then he says, I'm pleading with Euodia, and this is where we're gonna get really concrete and practical, and I'm gonna wrap up in the next 10 minutes. But he says, I'm pleading with Euodia, and I'm pleading with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I'm asking you, my true companion, to help these women since they've contended at my side for the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Euodia and Syntyche. What? <laughs> I don't, we don't know anything about Euodia and Syntyche. As far as I know, we don't know anything outside of what Paul says about them right here. Apparently, Euodia and Syntyche were these wonderful women who were really hardworking and had actually labored with Paul in advancing the gospel of the crucified and resurrected Messiah who's made unity possible, got that? But as it often happens in community life, somewhere along the line, Euodia and Syntyche got into a little bit of a standoff, okay? Now, have you ever experienced that? People in your home or in your circle of friends or among your coworkers or at your job or your church or whatever. Have you ever been in a situation where people were in a bit of a standoff with each other? So we don't know any of the circumstances other than there was something that was breaking down. There was tension building up in the community of faith. And so out of this framework of humble love that Paul is preaching about, he says to Euodia and Syntyche, he goes, listen, women, humble love Remember the foot washing of Jesus. Remember how he emptied himself. Remember how Jesus carried no pride with himself, but he emptied himself of his father's glory and he gave himself up. So please have that mind in you that also was in Christ Jesus. And then he looks at the community, community and he says, hey, and with these women that are at a standoff, would you please help them? Would you help them mediate their differences so that the peace that was achieved on the cross of Jesus Christ 
can be restored. And he's saying the same thing there that he's been saying throughout the book of Philippians and that Jesus modeled in John 13, which is that humble love conquers and that humble love brings unity. And I want to tell you just a, a quick Maundy Thursday story. I have seen this in motion that when people get humble and when we help them, we create situations where people can be humble. It really does conquer the world and it brings peace and unity. And I, I remember a Maundy Thursday service that we were hosting several years ago at our church in Denver. Um, but there were a couple uh, individuals in our church who had been best friends for years and years and years. I mean, like best friends. And as often happens in relationships, they experienced a really dramatic falling out with one another. And it's painful to witness the falling out. It's really painful to witness a falling out when it's in a smaller community. And we were a church of three, four, five hundred maybe. So when it happened, it really impacted all of us. And so you labor, um, you labor to try to put the pieces back together and help people find peace with one another. And we just, we couldn't, we couldn't figure out a way to mediate their differences. We didn't know the path back to each other. And so it was the Monday, Thursday service and I'm preaching on the new commandment. And then we had foot washing stations set up all over the room where the community that each member was going to wash the feet of, of the others. And it just so happened that these two guys who were in a relational standoff, just like Euodia and Syntyche, um, they wound up having to, it just, it was the way that it worked out. They wound up having to wash each other's feet. And I'll never forget just as a pastor overseeing that community and, and, and who had prayed so much for that relationship to find the wholeness. I remember looking across the room and seeing these two men washing each other's feet and I just went, Lord, only you can do that. It was like I watched seeds of gentleness be planted in their souls. And what I'm saying to you, moms, I guess this morning, just to conclude our time together, and then we're going to take some time for a little bit of uh, some prayer requests, is that um, you have a really unique role in your home. You have the ability, I think, to enter your home and the relationships and the spaces that those relationships inhabit with a great deal of tenderness and with humble love, and you're gonna, and you've done it already. You've seen situations and there have been experiences where, where your family has been at a standoff, somebody's not talking to somebody else, or the tension is rising. And I'm saying, if you want to know what the, what the kingdom strategy is for conquering that evil, you don't have to muscle up on it. Now, sometimes you have to get in people's faces and that's fine, but you don't have to muscle up. What you can do is you can find ways to take up the towel and to love and to create spaces where people can enter into the huge, true humility and the gentleness of the kingdom of God. And through that, the Lord's will and his goodness will conquer in your home. And I'm believing that for you. So with that, um, let's take some time here. I'm going to conclude with a quick prayer. And then as I'm praying, why don't you go ahead and put some prayer requests uh, up in the comment section, and then we'll try to pray for those individually and we'll end our time together. So Lord, we thank you for the pattern of love that has been given to us in Christ Jesus. And we thank you that, um, we thank you that there is no pride in God. There is no pride in God, the son. There is no pride in God, the father. There is no pride in God, the Holy spirit, but you are self emptying love and you give yourself for us and you've entered into our madness and our chaos to save us. And so we pray, just like Paul said, that this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. We pray that that mind would be in our homes that also was in Christ Jesus, that, uh, that there would be no pride and that there would be no 
tension, that there would be no, just none of the things that spoil and pervert community, but that there would only be goodness and peace and love, the true fruits of the Holy Spirit. So grant that we're praying, strengthen these moms with all power according to your glorious power, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So prayers for family and marriage from, uh, from Anna. Um, and so we're praying for Anna Navarro. Lord, we're asking, um, we're asking that you would cover and bless this family and marriage in every single way. We pray that that love that lives in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that love that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that that would be mirrored in this home. Cover it, we pray in Jesus' name. Debbie is saying that her prayer request is for Jesus' broken heart on the world today. I agree with that. Lord, in a world that is torn by so much strife and so much violence, we're pray- we can only pray as you taught us to pray on this, Lord Jesus. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in homes and families that know you, and in homes and families of people that don't know you. We pray that there would be an invasion of the Holy Spirit's presence to conquer our evil and hatred. Grant it, we pray. Clarissa is saying, praying for uh, her to model humility and unending love to your to kids instead of just telling them. Lord, we do pray that. We pray that you would strengthen Clarissa as you would fill her with your Holy Spirit and that you would help her in every way possible. Wash the feet of her children, model humble love instead of just telling them. Crystal Willis says, amen and thank you. Amanda Hennessy, prayer be to be close to the Lord. Oh, we do pray that. Lord, I ask for Amanda and for everybody that's watching this video and that will watch this video and for every, really everybody around the world. Lord, we're asking that there would, in these next few days, as we, uh, as we lift high the shed uh, blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, his resurrection, we're just praying that we would be drawn into the mystery of Christ Jesus, that we'd feel a special closeness with you. Granted, we pray in Jesus' name. Deb says, I would love prayer to be humble like Jesus and love unconditionally as he does. Oh, do it, Lord, we pray. Do it, we pray. Janelle, prayer, pray for fertility miracles. Yes, Lord, you are the God of life. And so we pray life into the Fultz family. Life into the Fultz family. Life comes from the hand of God. And it was by the finger of God. It was by the finger of God so long ago that life took root first on planet Earth. And we pray that life would take root in this womb. Do it. Do it by your miraculous power. We pray in Jesus' name. Kendra's saying a leading of the Holy Spirit on how to make this Resurrection Sunday special. Do it, Lord, we pray. Do it, Lord, we pray. All right. Well, I think that concludes our time together. Moms, thanks for letting me share with you. Uh, I'm praying a special blessing and a grace over your families as you get ready to celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. I'm praying that the weekend is not stressful for you, but that there's rest and that amid all of the noise of the weekend, and it can be a little bit noisy, that you just find yourself and you find your family tucked in in a special way to the mystery and the beauty and the love of Jesus. So that's what I'm praying over you as you go into your day to day. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face shine on you to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you.